If you will turn this morning in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, please. Luke. Yes, thank you. I almost forgot again. Thank you. And you know the sad thing is, I had a note to remind myself. So anyway, <laughs> Luke chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me this morning. Back uh, last, right before Christmas, or right, we had a, a message of, um, um, about Jesus pre, before he was born, uh, Jesus in heaven. And then um, during, the, uh, during December, we had a, a message also about his birth. And so we're calling this series of messages the Alpha and Omega. There'll be about six or maybe seven messages in, in this series. And I'm, sp- I'm going to spread out from today uh, as, the sp- as the year goes by into uh, towards Easter because we'll be looking some more at his life um, and his ministry and so forth in the, in the weeks to come. And then, of course, as we get closer to uh, Palm Sunday, we'll be looking at his crucifixion and so forth. So this is called the Alpha and Omega because the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8, in fact, several places in Revelation, Jesus says this um, uh, and, and gives his title of his name is this. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And so our first message, we talked about how Jesus has always been. He didn't just show up all of a sudden uh, uh, when he was born. Uh, He's always been. He's always existed. He is God. We call him the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Son of God. And so he's always been. He didn't just all of a sudden appear out of nowhere and was born. He, uh, he's always been. And the Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so um, way before, uh, Jesus always existed, and he's God. He's always God. Uh, always been God and will always be God. And so uh, we're going to look, though, today at, um, we, we've looked at before, and then at Christmas we looked at his birth. Now we're going to pick back up in Luke 2, and we're going to look at Jesus' um, childhood. We're going to look at it basically, just break, break it down into three very simple uh, points. Uh, several verses we're going to be looking at today. Most it will be in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2, but we're going to look at some Old Testament references also and uh, some others in the New as well. So let's start at Luke chapter 2 and start with verse number 20. Uh, after Jesus' birth, um, and we know that the, um, the angels went back to heaven, the shepherds went back uh, to the fields, and then uh, praising God, verse 20 says, in fact, let's pick up at verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so when the angel... When Gabriel appeared both to Joseph and Mary at separate times, he told them that this child, his name would be called Jesus. His name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so here we see uh, the early, early days right after he's born. Look at verse 22. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And uh, we'll come back to some references about this in just a moment. But uh, this actually is from Exodus 13, where it says, um, Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which 
is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the first thing we're going to look at uh, kind of briefly really is the very, very early days, or you might want to put early years of Jesus. Um, we don't know a whole lot between now and our next point that we're going to look at in verse 12, other than what his life would have been like as any baby that was born during that time um, uh, in Israel under Jewish law. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, so the scripture says there in verse 23 and 24 that he would be, he's uh, of course firstborn. As it says in verse 23, every male that openeth the womb uh, shall be called holy to the Lord. And then verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is in the law of the Lord. So if you'll hold your place with uh, and, and go with me back to the book of Leviticus, if you will. Old Testament book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus is the third book. Uh, and it's, it's, um, it's, it contains a great deal of Old Testament law, and it's written specifically for the priests because they come from the tribe of Levi. But look with me in Leviticus chapter 12. It's not a long chapter, but I would like to read this chapter. It's just eight verses, and we want to see. The Scripture says that they offered a sacrifice, which is said in the law of the Lord. And so right after Jesus is born, the eight days are accomplished in which he was circumcised, and we'll see that here in chapter 12. So I want you to understand as we see this, Joseph and Mary, when the angel had appeared to them, God had chosen them, Mary to be the mother of our Savior. Of course, Joseph and Mary weren't married yet. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And so uh, uh, because of that, um, Joseph knew what was coming. In fact, you know, he'd gotten so afraid that he was willing to put her away with a bill of divorce. But the scripture says that the angel appeared and said, Joseph, don't fear. God's got this. Uh, this is, he's all about this. He's got all the details. He'll work this out. You trust God. And that's exactly what he did. He was a godly man, just as Mary, I believe, was a very godly woman. And so the scripture says um, that, of course, as God called them together, uh, even though Joseph was not the biological father of this child, we know that he became his, some might want to call him a foster father, or whatever you want to call him. He, he, was, um, he, he later, of course, as because of marriage, was legally Joseph's father, as far as the law goes, uh, but uh, we know that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, uh, let's take just a moment to look at some background. Look at chapter 12 of Leviticus, start at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days according to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. Now, this is all according to the law, just as, as uh, they, would, they would observe because of being Israelites. Verse 3, And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And we saw in Luke that that was definitely what they did. Verse 4, And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary till the days of her purifying be fulfilled. Now God had called them to be a separate people unto, them, unto himself. And because of that, there were, there were laws that Throughout the years, people have found a lot of this has to do with health issues as well. We won't go into any of that this morning, but uh, the circumcision, the, uh, the what they call the law of purifying, all of that God had them to do because they were a holy people separated unto himself, a physical people separated unto himself. Verse 5, but if she bear a maid child, and she'll be unclean two weeks. Uh, for time's sake, skip down to verse number 
uh, 6. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation of the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. That is the law. Uh, for her that hath born male or female. Verse 8, And if she shall not be able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for burnt offering, one for sin offering. So the, the two young pigeons were brought. We see that they do, that, that that's exactly what they did. They, were, they didn't have a great deal of money. They weren't able to bring, bring a lamb, but they brought those two turtle doves. So with that in mind, we know that Jesus grew up in a home with, with Mary, with Joseph, who were humble. They were not very wealthy, but they loved God very much. And they wanted to honor him because they knew that this was no ordinary child, no ordinary baby that had been born. They knew that this child, God had a purpose for him. And so uh, we know that God told Joseph in the dream, don't fear to take Mary to be your wife. And he said, this child, his name will be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Told Mary basically the same thing. Mary, this child that is born of you uh, is is conceived of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, which is what? God was manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3, 16. In fact, we, we looked at that verse when we looked at the, the birth, uh, the, the, the message about his birth back in December. So um, he is God in the flesh. And so those early years of Jesus, we see that his parents loved God. And they were an example to the Son of God, that, that they loved God. And they showed that uh, even though they weren't of great means, great wealth, they obeyed the law as God had told them to do. And so we see in those early years, Jesus is born in a home where his parents loved God. And they loved the things of God. They honored in, uh, God's word and what he told them to do, which is a very, very wise thing to do. We'll come back to that a little bit later. So that's, that's simply the early years. We don't know much about the very early days or, or years of Jesus other than that, according to what the scripture says and what the law, what they would have done and did do to fulfill the law. So let's look at the second thing. It'll take, take a little bit longer. Go with me over to the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. And we'll look at a few verses here in Matthew. Of course, this is, uh, we won't look at all of the chapter for lack of time uh, sake. And we looked at this when we looked in the Christmas message um, back in December. But we know that the wise men had arrived. And look with me at verse, um, verse 1 says, When he was born in Bethlehem in Judea, uh, under the days of Herod the king, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. They came, verse 2 says, with the purpose of worshiping him. They saw the star in the east. They came to worship him. And so uh, we know as, as, uh, as, as you read down through there and you know the, um, the, the narrative, the passage of the Christmas story, so to speak, where uh, the wise men talked to, to Herod and he asks the scribes, where is this child to be born? And they told him. They, they quoted um, Micah 5 verse 2 we see there in Matthew 2 verse 6 that they quoted that, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And so certainly that's what happened, just as the scripture says. You read on down through there and you see where the wise men had come to worship. And look at verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. So at this point, Jesus is, I mean, the, the wise, or excuse me, the shepherds, the angels, they had been gone quite a while, uh, months 
Maybe in a year or two. Jesus might have even been about a year or two old at this point. He probably was. And so here we see the early part of his actual, of his childhood, at about one to two years old. And it says there, notice it says in verse 11, that they were in the house. So they were no longer at the manger. Now they're in a house. And it only mentions Mary. So Joseph was probably out working at the time. Uh, maybe, you know, in a shop close to their house, maybe somewhere in town. He might have been somewhere in another town working, wherever work might have taken him. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, so we see that Jesus, uh, as he grew, they were in a house now. They were living um, in a house. Look down at verse number. Skip down to verse. Well, you read through there and you see where um, they, they went to. Um, they had a, a dream. Verse 12. God sent a dream to these wise men. Don't go back through and see Herod again. Go back another way, and he told them the way to go. They went back to their own country another way, back east where they came from. God warned them, uh, because as you read through there, you find out the next thing that um, Herod is on, he, he is, he's on the rampage. Uh, the Bible talks about how he wanted to destroy all the little ones um, and, and uh, all the, uh, the children there, it, it mentions there, um, he, there's a dream where God gives Joseph, arise, take the young child, verse 13. And then the scripture says, um, verse 16, when, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked with the wise men, uh, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Not just boys, but all the children in Bethlehem that were from two years old and, and under, it says there in verse 16. So we see about Jesus' childhood very early on. He was about one or two years old. And at this point, Jesus was actually being hunted. He was being hunted by Herod, who wanted to destroy him. It says um, that he had you know, destroyed all those other children. He was looking for one in particular. Herod felt very... Um, he, he felt uncomfortable. He felt, he felt that his throne was being challenged because they're looking for this child that they call a king. Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? And so Jesus very early on was hunted. So we see something very key about Jesus' life and his ministry and something very practical for you and me. Our enemy now tried to attack Jesus now that he was in a human body. He wanted to attack him. He wanted to see him destroyed. That's our enemy. That's what Satan wanted, to destroy him. Throughout history, every time God has acted or accomplished something, our enemy goes and tries to counteract that. You see it from Genesis 1 in the Garden of Eden. God put man and woman in the perfect environment, told them they could eat of everything in that garden except that one tree, except it. And so right after that, when they partook of that, uh, because of Satan's temptation, they fell into sin. God provides something for them for salvation. And then time goes on, and then Cain and Abel are born. Then Abel uh, kills his own, or excuse me, he's killed by his own brother Cain. And so all the way through Scripture, you see where God does something great, the enemy tries to counteract that. There was no difference here. Our enemy wanted to destroy Jesus as a little child, as a one- or two-year-old. He wanted to destroy him. Folks, you can be sure of this. If you're a Christian, the devil is going to do anything he can to harm you in any way that he can. He will do that if he can. Uh, because you belong to that little two-year-old that later grew up to be our Savior. You belong to him. And the enemy knows that. And if he cannot uh, bring you harm physically in that way, then he will try his best to discredit you. He will disable you in some way. He'll dominate you. He'll deceive you. And if possible, physically, he would like to destroy you because you belong to Jesus Christ. If you're saved, you belong to him. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, 
to kill and to destroy. I am come, Jesus says, that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. Our enemy is real, folks, and he has a bent toward hindering or hurting God's people any way he can. You belong to Jesus Christ. Just recall that and realize you belong to him. And because of that, um, the devil sees you as a problem because you, you, he knows he can't get your soul, but he'll do anything else that he can to you. So time goes by. Look down at verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth um, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene, not a Nazarite, but a Nazarene. And so um, after the time um, God had, had told Joseph, flee to Egypt until I give you a word again. Then after Herod was dead, he said, come on back. And so they went and they dwelt there. The Bible says they had their, their home there in Nazareth. So they lived in Nazareth. Now, this was what would have been considered in the day Hickville. <laughs> this was not a, a very wealthy place. He was uh, later on, in fact, uh, in Jesus' ministry. The Bible says in Mark 12, verse 37, and the common people heard him gladly. He was from a very common area, as we already saw. His, um, his parents were not wealthy by any means. But we also learn in Scripture uh, a little bit more about Jesus and about his life. Turn with me over to the book, if you're still in Matthew, go to chapter 13. Matthew 13. And look with me, starting at verse 53. So we find out that Jesus, as he grows, uh, we'll see this in just a moment, but uh, as Jesus, uh, right now I want to look at it uh, here in this passage for a moment. As he grows, as any young man would do, uh, any child would do, any, any boy would do um, growing up in Israel, he would learn his father's trade. Whatever his father did, that's what he would learn. Look at Matthew 13, verse 53. Matthew 13, verse number 53. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, I better get in the right place. This is not the right spot. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse. That's not supposed to be 53. Um, I'm looking for another place, obviously. Nope, I'm in the wrong spot. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is 53. I was reading 52. I'm sorry. So pick up 53. It was the right place. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these, par uh, these parables, he departed thence. Here we go. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue um, that, they were, uh, that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? So uh, this is in Jesus' ministry now later on. But what I want you to see is verse 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? So, uh, and his mother called Mary. And so Jesus grew up uh, learning his father's trade. That's something that they would do. Later when Jesus chose his 12 disciples, at least four of them were fishermen who'd learned their father's trade. James and John, uh, they learned uh, fishing trade from their father Zebedee. So that was a common thing. He's called the carpenter's son because he himself learned that trade as, as a carpenter, as a, as a young boy. So he learned that from Joseph. Now carpenters in those days are not... Um, they're, they're, more, they're more than what, what we think of as a carpenter today. A lot of them built cabinets, and in that day, um, they built not just cabinets and so forth, but they built actually, they would build houses, uh, they would handle uh, heavy lumber, they had to be strong, and they would use axes and hammers, a variety of tools, because, you know, they not only, you know, worked on, on things like, uh, as I mentioned, like uh, cabinets or something like that. They worked, you know, they actually were, were those who built houses. In fact, in the Old Testament, the scripture says that uh, carpenters are mentioned in repairing the temple back in uh, when they were repairing that under Nehemiah and under Ezra back in the Old Testament. So um, Jesus grew up 
learning a trade from his dad and probably was physically very strong as probably was Joseph because of all the lifting and work they had to do. And so he worked with him uh, and learned that trade. So whatever we, we know about Jesus' ministry or his, or his childhood, his early years, we'll see a little bit more about that in a moment, is the fact that he um, you know, learned his father's trade. And so he, he learned that and knew that growing up. He always had something uh, to stay occupied, although in his mind he continued to learn and know that he was to be about his father's business. Continue chapter 13 of Matthew. Pick back up in verse 55. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, verse 56, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? So when Jesus' ministry began, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they would hear what he had to say, and they were asking each other, How does, what's, what's with this guy? How does he know so much? He's the son of a carpenter. He learned a carpenter trade. And he said uh, his mother's married. They're not really wealthy people. He doesn't seem to be someone who's, who's studied a great deal. And then it names his brethren and his sisters, four brothers. And sisters is plural, so that means at least two. So Jesus, of course, being the oldest, virgin born, he was the oldest. He had four brothers, two sisters at least. We don't know what order they were born uh, in. We don't know, you know if there were like, like a girl between a couple of the boys. We don't know anything about that, but it does name the brothers by name. And so the scripture makes it very clear concerning that. So Jesus knew what it was like to grow up in a family environment with not only with parents, but also with siblings, with brothers and at least two sisters. He knew that what that was like. Can you imagine growing up in that household where it's always the other kids that would get in trouble, not Jesus, because he never did anything wrong? He's the only one that wouldn't get in trouble. So he, he grew up with with uh, with his parents, with his siblings. He always obeyed. He didn't have any problem with honor thy father and mother. He knew exactly what to do. I mean, he wrote it and he knew what to do, right? Um, but then you can imagine, you can just kind of imagine a discussion where Mary might be talking one day. That James, he's always picking at his sisters. And Joe Jr. and Simon and Judah, you just have to stay after them. They won't listen to you. They won't clean up their room. won't do a thing that they, you tell them. And those girls... Wow, I can't get them to help me with cooking. They, they want to go out and play. They won't help me. Can you just imagine that? And then, But Jesus, he's not a problem at all. He always does what's right. Can you imagine that? And I'm sure he treated them all fairly, treated them all right, because he indeed is the son of God and would, uh, would be an example in his childhood, in his early years, as he would be as time goes by until you know, he, he uh, begins his ministry and goes to the cross, which we'll get to in a future message. Third and quickly, let's look back at Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. The scripture says this in verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So this describes them going back to, you know, going to live in Nazareth as, as they, they, they fulfilled the things in the law. And then Matthew records that they lived in Nazareth. So um, they, they went back to their own city. And the scripture um, um, says a little later that they would go into uh, Jerusalem, go to verse... Um, We'll pick, up, pick back up verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. They live in Nazareth, but every year, as others would do, they would go to the feast of the Passover. Pick up verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. You don't have to turn there. We don't have time for it this morning. But there's a reference in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16 that Joseph knew 
Jesus knew, of course. Mary knew and would fulfill. The Bible said there were three times every year that every male had to, t- had to go, taking his family, go to Jerusalem for these certain feasts. One of them was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the tail end of that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, it, it flows over into the Passover. So they would travel every spring for the Passover, and for, or excuse me, for unleavened bread and the Passover. So it says here that Joseph, being a godly man, obeying what God had given them in the Old Testament and living by it, of course, still, they would go, as custom was, to the feast. And so, of course, as they went every time, um, now it just records that Jesus, in verse 42, he's 12 years old. So we don't have anything from 2 to 12. We can, we can guess from the Scripture what it would have been like growing up. We, knew he, we know he had brothers and sisters. Those things we know for sure. But what happened between 2 and 12, the Scripture doesn't record. Because obviously, the Holy Spirit didn't put it in there. We don't need to know. We get to heaven, we'll find out all that, I think. But while we're on earth, for whatever reason, we don't need to know it. The Scripture doesn't include it. We can guess some things based on what the Old Testament says and the things he would have done, just as we've seen already. So... They would go every year. Now, they're gone, now they've gone there for the Passover. Now just think right now, from this point at 12, from here until 33, Jesus would go to every Passover. Well, his ministry began at 30, so he would, he would be there you know, then with his disciples. Every year went to the Passover. I wonder every year, and he probably did, as he saw those lambs being brought, coming to the temple to be offered at the Passover. I'm sure he knew in his mind, one day I will be the Lamb of God. I will be taking away the sin of the whole world. In fact, when he was baptized, we'll look at next, next message in a, a few, several weeks, when he was being baptized by John the Baptist, as he's walking up, John sees him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John knew that. He knew that Jesus would be the one to be the Lamb of God. So the Scripture describes in here where they went to Jerusalem. And then when you pick up verse 43, you find out, well, the feast is over. They're heading back to Nazareth. And guess what? Jesus is nowhere to be seen. So in those days, when they would travel as a family, family didn't just mean that household and mom and dad and the kids. Family also meant cousins and everybody like that. For one reason, it was safer to travel in great numbers. Because, you know, there were, there were places that were not safe. As they traveled, they would come across. Uh, and so it was safer to travel in numbers. So as they would travel, it would be a big caravan uh, of family, uh, of relatives. And so possibly John the Baptist was in that group, m- most likely, uh, maybe traveling with them. And so um, they, uh, they would talk, and the kids would talk, and they would play. Because, you know, you're not going real fast. <laughs> As you drive. So they would talk, they would play, and they would follow through with the rest of the caravan. Well, something happened, and they're looking for Jesus. And Mary says, I thought you knew where he was. Joseph said, I thought you knew where he was. And so we've got to find him. They stop the caravan, look around, they can't find him, so they go back to town. They go back to Jerusalem. Look at verse um, uh, 45. When they found him not, they returned back to Jerusalem, seeking him. Verse 46, it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So he's listening to what they have to say, and he's asking them questions. Look at verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, when um, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said, Look, we've been looking for you. Where have you been? Well, we've been trying to find you. Look what Jesus says in verse 49. 
And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. Verse 50, And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. But in time, it, it would come to their mind, and they would realize what was going on. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Now the angel had told Mary and Joseph that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. He grew up in their household. They got so used to seeing, although a perfect child, they got so used to seeing him in the household there every day, playing, doing his chores. But now at 12 years old, he's in the temple and he's hearing them talk and he's asking questions of all of these learned uh, scribes and so forth. And so he said, I must be about my father's business. That's what he did. That's what he was about. So should we. What mattered to God mattered to Jesus, and the same way it should matter to us also. He was interested in the Scripture, what he had to say. He was interested in people and where they would spend eternity, just as we should be. The Bible tells us several places in the Gospel of John that he was totally committed to the will of his Heavenly Father. John 4, verse 34. John 5, verse 30. John 6, verse 38. He said, my meat, my very food, what I, what I eat, then what's even more important than that is he, I'm here to do my Father's will. And then the Scripture says, back over in Luke verse 52, chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He obeyed His heavenly Father. He obeyed His parents. He did uh, exactly what He was supposed to do as He should do it, just as the Scripture records about Him. He was, he was doing um, the work that His Father had, just 12 years old. And then some 18 years later, his ministry would begin. But here he was um, answering questions. And we see that his parents from this point probably saw things a little bit different. But let's look at it this way as we get ready to close. Jesus did earthly carpenter work, and now he's doing heavenly carpenter work. John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, I go, um, uh, he said, I, I must go away. And he said, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you and I go and prepare. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that you may be there also. Jesus prepared a place, is preparing a place for you and me, our heavenly carpenter. Is preparing a place. If you were here a couple of weeks ago on uh, New Year's Eve Sunday, we looked at a message about New Jerusalem, which is our eternal home. And he's preparing that right now for you and for me. I'll give you a couple of places. Go with me over to Hebrews and we'll close with this. Philippians 2 tells us to let this mind be in you as it was also in Christ. And he took up a servant. He, he became a servant. So uh, a servant's heart is an example Jesus gives. Now, he came to be first and foremost our Savior. Absolutely. We don't want to forget that. I mean, meeting here would be for nothing if, if, you know, if he didn't come to be our Savior. But as our Savior, he's also our example. And he came to have, uh, to be a servant, to have a servant's heart to show us how to do that. That's in Philippians 2, verse 2 to 7. But I want you to go with me to Hebrews 5 for just a moment. In verse number 8, the Scripture says, Though he were a son, capital S, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So we as believers... Sometimes the things God's allowing to come in our life, we go through some suffering in our life of some type. It may be mental or emotional. It may be physical with health. Maybe other ways that we go through suffering. God is not doing that just, um, just, uh, just for the fun of it, so to speak. He's doing, something to te- he's doing that to teach us something in our life. And even our Savior, who was perfect, the Bible says that He learned obedience through the things which He suffered. 
Isn't that an amazing thing to be said about our Savior? So it should be also true of you and me. Go over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 7 through 9. This is where we'll close. This is a reference over to Psalm, over from Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. And I mention that because uh, I, I have one more detail I want to mention on this. Hebrews 10, verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. This is from Psalm 40, verse 7 and verse 8. Look at verse 8 of Hebrews 10. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Twice in there he says, I come to do thy will. The Bible says in Psalm 40, where this is quoted from, Psalm 40 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Jesus gave us the example of that in delighting in God's will. Do you delight in God's will for your life? Sometimes it takes us through some, some valleys. Sometimes it takes us down some side roads. Sometimes it takes us in some, some tough places. But God promises to always be with us. Do you delight in doing His will for your life? Is that your delight? Jesus gave us that example because He delighted in it. He said, I've come to do my Father's will. It was like food to Him. I have come to do my Father's will. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the example of our Savior. We thank you first and foremost. He came not just to be our example, as good as that is, even better, He came to be our Savior. And we thank you for eternal life through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through trusting Him, we can know you personally and know not only eternal uh, and abundant life now, but in eternity we'll dwell with you one day forever because of your son's finished work. And so I pray today, Lord, if there's someone here that's never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, to understand and know we're all sinners, and you gave the perfect remedy for that sin, and that is your son Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. As he died in our place, shed his precious blood, was buried, the third day rose again, that we can have eternal life and be absolutely certain of a hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, today I also pray for us as believers. Help us to go uh, from the point of knowing He's our Savior to looking to Him as our example. For Him to be the example before He's our Savior really doesn't mean much. But once He's our Savior, as our example, He showed us how to live a victorious life as a believer. He showed us what we should do. And to be submissive to Your will in our life, Lord, that is a very, very important start. When the Apostle Paul got saved, the first thing he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You have a will for every one of our lives, Lord. Sometimes we go down the same path as, as uh, fellow believers we know, and then sometimes we may have to take a little side road that's your will for us. We don't always know, but we know that you know it because you are the Alpha and Omega. You are not only... You not only were in the past, you're in the present, and you're in the future. You already see it, Lord. We thank you for that. I pray that you'll be with us as we go throughout this week. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, buddy, if you'll come at this time, let's stand and we'll close with a chorus or a verse and dismiss.